Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is Scott Castile from CalvaryFellowshipTC.com, and you're listening to The Engaging Missions Show. Welcome to The Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Hi, and welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the one surprising country that sends out more missionaries per capita than any other. We're going to discuss the unexpected way that showing up for a Christmas service ministered to a grieving father, as well as a hot spot in the United States for discipleship training. And Scott McClelland is going to continue his series on security in leadership. Show notes will be available at engagingmissions.com slash Brian Hogan. And you're going to want to stop by because there are quite a few resources to check out this week. And then also, before we get into the interview, I did want to mention, if you've never picked up a copy of the Bible to listen to, you might want to stop by engagingmissions.com slash free book. I've partnered with Audible to get you a free download for your very first trial if you try out their service. And if, like me, you think, hey, the Bible might be a great idea, something I can listen to on the go, maybe when I'm commuting to and from work, or I can listen while I'm doing some housework, or I just want to be able to fill my life by listening to the Bible in some way, that might be worth it for you. So stop by engagingmissions.com slash free book. And with that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. Our guest today had a really interesting journey from college into to missions, and it was sparked at least in part by um, a, a magazine from Wycliffe Bible Translators. And because of what God did through that and through some other things, I think, uh, our guest ended up actually changing majors, but probably not to what you would be thinking. And he also, you know, he and his mom talked about this and she prayed about it because she had some specific things that she wanted to, to see happen as well. Brian Hogan, who's our guest, he spent a, some time as a missionary to Mongolia. He's part of a global organization that honestly has its own killer podcast as well. And he's also part of a community of church planting coaches. It's really cool stuff that, that I think they're doing. So Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. Now, as we're getting started, I realize that I've summed up like 30 years of experiences and all that stuff in like 45 seconds. And I, you know, I really haven't done it justice. There's so much I haven't talked about. You've written a couple of books, some amazing stuff. And I, I, I'm just wondering, as we get to know you, could you share a little bit about some of the experiences and, and who you are? Sure. Uh, when you say 30 years like that, it sounds like so long. <laughs> I, I think there's some wear and tear, but it's not the years, it's the miles. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, my wife Louise and I have actually been married for 31 years. Uh, we got married right right when uh, we graduated from college, literally a week after. And um, we've been involved in missions almost all of that time. It took us about three years to find a posting and, and get out onto the mission field. And we started with the Navajo Indians in um, Northeast Arizona with a group called Navajo Gospel Mission in 1987. And... Um, Quite frankly, we didn't know what we were doing at the time. We just knew that God had called us to be missionaries. And so we were really excited to have people acknowledge that we were indeed missionaries. And we were dorm parents for a Navajo Christian school and um, had 15 wild Indian boys living in our house. But God was already working on his own program during that. And so um, through a, a number of things, including introducing us to a man um, Rick Leatherwood, who later became the apostle to Mongolia, and um, having us take the perspectives class one year in, uh, perspectives on the world Christian movement, he completely rearranged and turned upside down everything that we'd thought and believed and thought we knew about missions and what God was up to. And we ended up leaving the mission field um, among the Navajo uh, and mobilizing people for three years, and then in 1992, moving to Outer Mongolia with our family. Actually, um, I went there on an exploratory trip in 92, and then the beginning of 1993, uh, we moved my wife and our three small children, three daughters, uh, to the wilds of Outer Mongolia. Yeah, so I would imagine that, you know, from the traditional North American life, moving to Mongolia is a fairly significant transition. <laughs> did it help that you had also spent some time among the Navajo Indians and, you know, spent some time ministering to other cultures already? That helped an incredible amount. The Navajo and the uh, Mongolians have very, very similar cultures because the Navajo are genetically Mongolians. They came over the land bridge, you know, several thousand years ago, and the cultures are just such a close match. So we actually, without meaning to, had um, two years of studying and living among Mongolian culture before moving there. That helped a lot. Nothing could prepare you for the terrible, terrible cold of a Mongolian winter. <laughs> and uh, my wife and children had never even left the United States until we stepped on that plane to fly to Mongolia. So there was a lot of um, shock involved as well. Yeah, and so you mentioned wife and kids. How, um, do you mind sharing with us how many children you have and a little bit about your family? Sure. Um, we have five children all together. Um, at this point, we're empty nesters. The last one uh, moved out um, almost two years ago. Um, we have um, three daughters. Our three oldest are all girls, Melody, Molly, and Alice. Mm -hmm. And then um, we had uh, two sons, one of whom died while we were in Mongolia as an infant to sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS. And the other one um, was born just after we returned from that field. So, you know, as I think about a family dealing with um, the, the difficulty of losing a child, did you find, w w do you think it was even harder being in a different culture, away from family and that kind of thing? Yeah, that was um, a significant part of the experience was being so far away from those that we felt would um, grieve with us the most effectively, people who had known us our whole lives. And there was um, almost a bit of 
I don't know, accusation towards God in the beginning of like, gosh, we followed you out here to literally the ends of the earth. And this happens here. You know, I know this happens all over the world. It happens in our culture. It's not Mongolia's fault that our, our infant died of SIDS, but here we are. And there's nobody. We had, um, a, we were on a church planning team that had a Swedish couple and a Russian couple. And so there were cultural barriers, even with our teammates. But in addition to that, we were the only ones with children. Oh. And so, um, and the Mongolians, uh, there was significant linguistic and cultural barriers. It was, we were just like, how are we going to get through this here? And yet, um, God did an amazing, amazing thing in the Mongolian church that was already planted. We had planted it by this point, and we were uh, working with the believers and discipling them and training up leaders, really surrounded us and just poured love out on us. I remember uh, walked in, because it happened at Christmas time of the year 1994, on Christmas Eve, hmm. and um, God practically twisted my arm and forced me to go to the church's Christmas party and the believers didn't know yet what had happened that morning. And um, it was announced at the Christmas party just as I walked in the door. Um, and they saw me and came running over to me, sobbing and bawling. And they surrounded me in a huddle of clinging humanity with all sorts of moisture coming out of all of their orifices. <laughs> and um, I was crying too. And the Lord spoke to me and said, look, Brian. I've given you family here at the ends of the earth. Hmm. And it just blew me away because these were former enemies who were mourning the death of my son just as deeply as, as any of our relatives could have. Wow. That, I'm so glad you shared that. I was actually going to ask a follow-up question about how God got you through it. It's just, it's so amazing how he moves in our lives. I, it, you know, it's, it's not something I would ever want somebody to have to go through. And yet it's, it's so astounding to see how God gets us through those kind of things. As you think about your life and your ministry, have there been any key scriptures that have really been foundational to what you've done and how you've do, how you've done it? Um, yeah, uh, there's been a number of them. Um, one of the ones that comes up for me a lot as I continue to watch things unfold in what we um, help set in motion in Mongolia is the scripture from Habakkuk, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, I believe. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am about to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. And we feel like we got to live through a modern fulfillment of that prophecy to Habakkuk, that God did something that so far outstripped even our wildest dreams as we said yes to him and followed him out to uh, outer Mongolia, that the Mongolian church that uh, resulted uh, even before we left had planted daughter churches and granddaughter churches and has continued without let up in the 20 years since then. And uh, just we look on with amazing, uh, amazement as we see them sending out their own missionaries, and they've been doing that since 1998. Um, just an incredible outpouring of passion for Christ. They're not content to let the peoples around them stay unreached the way that they stayed unreached for almost 2,000 years after the Great Commission. Wow. And so it's that Mongolia today is the foremost missionary sending nation 
on planet Earth. And that's a country that not one person knew who Jesus was in January of 1990. Wow, I just want to play that back, because what I think I just heard you say was in the last... 25-ish, 26 years, Mongolia has gone from having essentially, or maybe even literally, no presence of the gospel, nobody knowing the name of Jesus, to, to sending out more missionaries than anybody else. Yes, more missionaries per Christian than any other church, uh, any other nation on the planet. It only takes 222 Mongolians to send out a missionary. The U.S. on that same list is number 30 at 2,195 Christians per missionary. So if I could ask you to speculate a little bit, what would you say leads to Mongolia being able to do that? I think there's two main things. Uh, No, I'm going to have to say three. (laughs) Three main things. First of all, the Mongolian people themselves are, they have this nomadic past. They're still considered a kind of a semi-nomadic people. And I don't think, I think there's a certain excitement that they have about going places to and and that coupled together with finding out that it's God's plan to reach the nations mm. proved a potent mix. Um, the other thing is that we from day one taught them about the nations, taught them uh, to pray for unreached people groups. Literally, that was part of their discipleship. When Jesus said, "Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you." We obviously included the Great Commission in that command. And so brand new baby Christians back in 1993, uh, teenage girls in the beginning, actually, were praying for unreached people groups. So it was the natural part of the church's DNA. And um, then the, th- the third factor that I think is, is so important is that almost every Mongolian Christian knows in their own life what it's like to be unreached mm. and to not know anything about the living God. And so it gives them a real passion to at least take the news to those that haven't heard it. Wow. That's, that's a really, really big deal. I mean, just those three things. I'm so thankful that you shared those. I have one, maybe one more question to kind of tie a bow on this section, and then we'll take a quick break before we come back. And I'm wondering, as you think about your life and your ministry and your relationship with God, are there, is there anything that you would consider a, a key practice or something that you do that's really contributed to what God's been able to do in your life and ministry? Yeah, um, one, uh, I think that the the major overarching uh, constant through both our practice, our training before we went, our practice in Mongolia that saw that we saw such outrageous success with in such a short time. We were only there three and a half years hmm. and launched the church planning movement, and then ever since then, what I've trained others to do, the major facet of it has been simplicity, that what we're doing and calling church in almost every case is way too complicated. Mm. And we need to take what we do and send it through a filter, much as you would a pot of coffee, um, uh, the filter of the New Testament. Mm. That if what we're doing doesn't make it through that New Testament filter, uh, we shouldn't be introducing it at any rate. Uh, because then it's just our human tradition. And, you know, when James said, uh, they said at the Council of Jerusalem, I believe, um, why do we want to take and put on these Gentiles who are coming to Christ a burden that's been too heavy for we or our fathers to carry? Mm -hmm. I think we have turned around and done the same thing. 
we've taken 17, 1800 years of organizational church history and tried to load it onto these unreached people groups when all we really need to take is what's right there in the Gospels and introduce them to a, a relationship with the living God. He puts his Holy Spirit inside them, and we can trust the Holy Spirit in the lives of our brothers and sisters among these previously unreached people groups to lead them into all truth. That's exactly what the Bible says his job is. And we don't need to introduce a lot of things. Well, we do it this way and we do it this way um, that complicate things, slow down reproduction and keep the church from growing. Well, that one thing right there was huge. Trusting the Holy Spirit in the, the hearts and the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a really big deal. With that, we are going to go ahead and take a quick break, and then we'll be back in just a minute. So stick around, and we'll shift our focus a little bit more toward uh, Brian's ministry. Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, it's Scott McClelland. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking in a little bit of a series here on the leadership moment about security and leadership or how do we, how do we operate securely from a position of influence? And we talked about quite a bit. I encourage you to go back and uh, take a listen to some of the previous ones if you haven't had a chance to hear those. Last time we talked a little bit about difficulty and adversity and increasing our capacity for such things. Um, going forward from there, one thing to note, when we're in times of crisis or critical junctures in our leadership, we need to realize that in these places, we're in a unique situation to learn the ways of the Lord. Lord, all this stuff's going on. What should I do? These are things we should be asking the Lord and presenting to him. People are unhappy with the direction we're going in and they're making personal attacks at me and demeaning my character. This is ground that the Lord has covered and uh, he knows how to manage it. So as we're going through adversity or difficulty in our uh, positions of influence, we need to use this as an opportunity to learn the Lord's ways, to learn the ways of Jesus. Overreacting to difficulty in those times uh, doesn't save us. Uh, it only guarantees that uh, we're mounting up more difficulty for ourselves. If we try to save ourselves, we only guarantee that our fall will be harder and less forgiving. Jesus said, don't don't save yourself. Right. You're, the tendency to save yourself or to protect yourself selfishly is uh, is uh, something that is natural to man. But it's also a fallen tendency. So we have to resist that. Uh, if Jesus can give himself glory by making you into a superstar or a fool, as Paul said, <laughs> let's let him make himself glorious with our lives. So don't, don't try to protect yourself or your image in the process. In learning the Lord's ways, we'll learn the ways of humility. And by learning his ways, we're going to realize that we can trust him. We're going to be a, our assurance in trusting the Lord in positions of responsibility will grow. And our sense of security won't be in ourselves or our image or what people think about us. Our sense of security will be in the Lord alone. You, Lord, are a high tower. You are a, 
the place I run to for refuge. If you're in difficulty in your leadership and you need refuge, don't run to what you know or your great batting average. Run to the Lord. He alone will save us and is a solid and strong tower of security for us. I'm Scott McClellan. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out later on The Leadership Moment. We'll have a few more things. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you. Feel free to send questions or or things that didn't make sense. Contact me or us at FX Missions. We'll see you next time on The Leadership Moment. Have a good one. This Leadership Moment was produced in partnership with Engaging Missions. Have your leadership question answered by contacting Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit FX Missions to learn more about how you can grow your leadership and engage in missions. Visit engagingmissions.com for encouragement, insight, and resources from missionaries, ministry leaders, and church planters. All right, we are back with Brian Hogan. He's been sharing a little bit about what God's done in his life and ministry in the past. Now we're shifting a little bit more to the present day. He's involved with a community of church planning coaches. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But as having been a missionary for a short period of time and seeing the amazing things that God did, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about how he's using those experiences. So Brian, as you're coaching somebody, what from your experiences would you draw on to share with them what they can do or what God's doing? Well, um, when we, in our coaching, one of the main things that we try to do, and I think this is probably maybe generic to just good coaching, is we're trying to draw out of the person what goals God's given them. Um, because we uh, coach church planters, we're trying to get them to tell us, what has God asked you to do among the nations? And then what are the obstacles and how can we um, brainstorm to overcome these obstacles and get positive forward motion again? And so that, that in a nutshell, is what we're doing in coaching church planters, helping them stay focused on their goals and see breakthroughs. But the, the single most thing that we have seen the biggest power in, I guess, um, with the church planners we coach and even in our own experience, is um, the way that you make disciples. In fact, we um, are actually shifting away from the language of church planting. Uh, we've been called church planting coaches um, in our organization. And, um, and then we talk about church planting movements. You've probably um, had speakers reference that. Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about disciple-making movements. And the the difference is is subtle, because if you make a disciple correctly, you are planting a church. uh, There's nothing in the Bible about making disciples so that individuals can stand alone out there in the world. You gather them. That's part of making the disciple. So, But church planting as such isn't mentioned in the Bible. It's where the command is to make disciples. So, And if our focus is on making disciples, what we've discovered is that if we'll simply do what Jesus said to do, we see incredible results. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And you might think, oh my gosh, if we have to stay until we've taught them everything Jesus (laughs) commanded, it'll take forever. It turns out when you just pull all the commands of Jesus out of Scripture and shake them down with repetition and overlap and everything else, it turns out there's seven clear basic commands of Christ. The main one being love, love God, love others. And But under that, 
Under loving God, you have repent, believe, and receive the Holy Spirit. You have pray, and you have baptize. And those are three ways that God wants us to show our love for him. And then under loving others, you have gather, give, and go. Gather includes the Lord's Supper. The command is to do that often. Um, Give is giving generously. That's how Jesus gave the command. And go is making disciples, that they're supposed to teach others how to obey Jesus' commands. And when we get our church planters actually implementing this, when they start teaching the new believers in a very simple way, here's what Jesus commanded, now go out and do it. Look for the opportunities to do these things and start moving out in obedience. We see the most astounding transformations take place in lives in families, in apartment buildings or villages and communities and and in movements of multiplying churches because we've kept it simple enough that literally anyone can obey Jesus and plant a church. So you mentioned that you've seen really good results with this kind of thing. Would you mind sharing, and I don't want to like make this about numbers or anything, but would you mind sharing a little bit of the fruit that you've seen come from this approach and what God's done in your, in, in this? Sure. Um, in Mongolia, of course, we, we saw now there's um, upwards of uh, well over 50,000 uh, Mongolian believers. And that statistic's already quite old. Um, and it just continues to expand there. In fact, they just had me um, in 2011 come back and share at the 20th anniversary of the coming of the gospel. And they wanted me to tell stories about the beginnings of the Mongolian church. And I <laughs> I said, well, that I'd feel silly doing that. I mean, you were all there. You're all Mongolians, and I can't tell you stories about the starting of your own church. And they said, Brian, you don't understand. About 99% of the believers have come to faith after you left the country. The growth has been so exponential uh, in this movement that most of the people had no idea how their church started. And so I did go back, and we shared the the stories, and it was just an incredible time, Um, again, blowing out our expectations. But um, this continues around the world. I trained some church planters. We have these gathering events um, that we found one of the most potent things we can do in coaching and training church planters is gather them from the nations to a nice neutral location. We use the island of Malta Hmm. and have a a week-long event called a gap where – a gap means a gathering of friends in the Uzbek language. And we see the most incredible fruit come out of these as they encourage each other, as they get a voice and they're able to share their story. These are isolated people who work in isolated places. And as they hear other people's breakthroughs and success, they go home with renewed vision and see breakthroughs happen right away. One example of this was a friend of mine named Fred, South African guy who uh, came to the Gap in Malta. He had pioneered a work among the Yao people of Mozambique. And this is a Muslim people group that lives up in the northern um, section of Mozambique. And um, Fred was lead- Fred and his family were leading a team of mostly Mozambiques um, in a Yao village. And after he came to our gathering in Malta, he returned, um, shared with his teams, the th- uh, team members the things that he'd learned there, had me come in and do a training um, where they actually brought in um, new workers and trained them on the field in the village to plant churches. 
And um, it was so successful that um, just a few years later, uh, Fred found himself handing over the work uh, to locals. And the Yao have gone from there. Um, this completely formerly unreached people group is now there's dozens and dozens of churches as they are planting their own daughter churches and granddaughter churches in other villages. Uh, much of it led by imams uh, who have come to faith. Hmm. Um, uh, leaders in the Muslim religion that have um, turned to faith in Jesus and endured persecution. Um, all the believers have endured various forms of persecution, and it doesn't stop them. The team used uh, development as the door opener. There was a lot of hostility when they first arrived, and they just started um, loving people well. Uh, they started taking care of the aged people who were basically um, getting cast aside and making sure they got to the town to get their medicines and checkups and things like this and just loving on these older people. Um, they also uh, pioneered a new way of digging wells where the sides didn't collapse in and kill people. Uh, they, they introduced a safe way of hand digging wells. And that was very much appreciated by the community because there had been deaths as they always had to find new sources of water. Um, they also uh, introduced a, um, protein into the diet by starting a rabbit raising operation. And people would just see how quickly these rabbits multiplied and um, have the team come over and help them build an enclosure that would keep the rabbits from getting away and, and then give them a couple, a dough and a buck. And suddenly people had meat in their pot. They had um, extra to take to town and sell. They had skins. They had all of these things. So it was amazing as they used really simple, reproducible things, not introducing things that you couldn't do there or get there without um, being dependent on somebody from the outside sending it in, uh, how this turned the hearts of the people toward them. And when outside agitators came to try and kill them, the locals basically encircled their house and protected wow. them. That's, that's really huge. And, you know, as you were sharing that, I was thinking, it seems like a lot of times, at least in the church, we, we tend to see missions or mission-type work in two camps. We either have mercy or helps-type ministries, or we have gospel ministries. And a lot of times it can feel like those two are differentiated, if, it, if you will. Mm -hmm. But what I think I'm hearing from you is that at least in Mozambique, when they were working, it was both. They were working for the good of the community as well as glorifying God in the gospel. That's absolutely true. Um, we have found over the years that in order for development to stick, as far as beyond when the team is there, you there's absolutely no way for that to happen without you planting a vibrant local indigenous expression of Jesus's body because without changed hearts development, whether it's um, you're piping water in from somewhere or whatever project you might be doing, there's a reason that those kind of advances have never happened there. And it has to do with the fallen nature of mankind. Hmm. It has to do with greed. It has to do with, I don't care that the women have to walk seven miles to get water. You know, um, we'll tear up the pipes and sell them for scrap after you're gone. And so unless hearts get changed, it doesn't stick. But you see, in the case of this team, they were able to use it also as a door opener to get people um, realizing that there was blessing to be had. And that opened their, their ears to the gospel. So it can it can function in that way as well. Wow, that that is excellent. 
you know, and if we could, if we could go back a little bit to your experience with mm-hmm. Mongolia, one of the things I think that you mentioned during the break was that it was really not you that did the work. I mean, 99% of those people came afterwards. Is that consistent with what you're seeing as people continue to, to do this? Yeah. Locals are always the best transmitters of the gospel. Um, Ralph Winter, Dr. Ralph Winter said that the least effective form of evangelism is cross-cultural evangelism Mm -hmm. in terms of sheer numbers of who who gets reached through that method. The most effective form of evangelism is near neighbor evangelism, reaching people that are just like you, maybe over the back fence or out at the mailbox, you know, or at Whole Foods or wherever you may be. But um, the thing is, is that the most essential or the most needed form of evangelism is that least effective form, cross-cultural evangelism. And the reason for that is until that takes place and an initial penetration of the gospel happens, no one in that people group can hear the gospel from their neighbors because wow. they're all unreached. Yeah. And so when you do that, are you then looking for a person of peace or someone in particular to that God has brought in to be that key for a community or a, a nation? Definitely. We actively train our church planners to pray and seek for the person of peace as their inroad. Now, we had that happen, but when we were in the early 90s, that was not yet a part of the evangelical mission scene, uh, the framework. This is something that God has brought up really in the past um, 15, maybe 20 years, this idea of looking for the man of peace. And um, so we actively train people to do that. But it was interesting without us even really knowing that that was a possibility, um, God brought us such people. There was one guy named Damden Surin, and he came to Christ um, just on his own. He wandered in to a midweek Bible study that we were doing. And at the time, we were mostly a, tea, a, a church of teenagers. Mm. Um, the teenagers had responded early to the gospel, and older people hadn't. There was a number of sociocultural reasons why there was a, a lag or delay there. But um, he was one of the early adults that kind of engaged. He came in, listened, and identified at the end, hey, I want to follow Jesus. He was prayed with. He went home. And um, he led 24 people to Christ his first evening wow. as a believer. He just went home and led three large families to Christ, showed up the next day with 24 people in my stairwell and knocked on my door and said, hey, um, these ones are all new believers. What do I do with them? Hmm. I was uh, kind of taken aback. I said, well, um, now you're a house church leader. So uh, (laughs) the problem is, is we don't let our house churches grow this large. Yours is about two times, you know, double the size Hmm. that they're supposed to be. And he says, oh, well, what should I do? And I said, well, normally you'd have been walking for Jesus with Jesus for a couple weeks or so, and you'd have a disciple already, and you, he could lead half of it. And he said, oh, I taught my neighbor how to win people to Christ last night. Does he count? <laughs> he said, he totally counts. You two stay. I'm going to model house church with you. Send everybody else home. Church starts tonight. And that's exactly what happened. So this brand new believer had planted two churches before he was 24 hours old in the Lord. Wow. As you think about your the ministry that God's had, you know, for roughly thirty years now, is there anything that you would change? Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. My partner was a Swedish guy, uh, Magnus Alphonse, and he and I met 10 years on after our work in Mongolia. And I was his coach at this point. And so we had a coaching session and he suggested that before we plow into his more recent work, which was in Turkey, he um, wanted to talk about, kind of have a debrief from Mongolia. And I thought that was an excellent idea. So I said, well, what do you think you would do differently? And it was amazing because he came up with the exact same things that I had uh, independently come to in my own thinking and praying. And so one of, the, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind immediately is that we would never have introduced, if we were doing it over, we would never have introduced a regular large gathering. Hmm. And the key word is regular there. Uh, we introduced it as once a month, and we called it the celebration meeting, and it was really just a time for all the house churches to get together and share and get know they were bigger than just tiny little groups of people lit, uh, meeting in living rooms. But um, what happened is, is they loved it, and soon they wanted to do it twice a month, and second, and then after that, they were like, could we do this every week? And because there was enough money coming in, we said, sure, you know, you guys can afford to rent the theater every week. And what happened is that when we went to every week, the growth of the big meeting continued up at a steady rate, and the growth of all those small house churches where the discipleship took place, where it was face-to-face, and you could actually teach people to obey the Lord Jesus Christ those plateaued instantly. Hmm. And it was because the new people coming in all looked at the big meeting as this is the real thing. This is the thing that, that these people spend 90% of their time, their energy, and their money on. That is the clearest statement of value that you can give something. Hmm. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them, no, church takes place in these living rooms. You're actually preaching something else by putting on the big meeting on a regular basis. And so we didn't send that through the New Testament filter. That's what we had realized. We said if we would have submitted the big meeting to the New Testament filter, we would have found that regular was not a facet of the big meeting in the New Testament. Instead, it was frequent. That when they could, they gathered from house to house, and when they could, they would all gather together. And it was when the Apostle Paul came to town or Apollos, or Peter came through, or there was some other reason for a larger gathering. And that's how we would have introduced it if we were doing it again. And we, um, you know, our mistake caused them to have this ongoing frustration where uh, they'd get a regular big meeting going, and it would kill the house churches, and then they'd have to dismantle it and say, we're not going to do that anymore. And this has happened over and over and over over the years. It happened while we were there twice. So we didn't, at that time, didn't realize that there might be another way to go about things, but we've realized it since then, and that's what we train our church planters now. Well, that's really interesting. That is definitely not something I would have thought of. So I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. Before we started recording, you had also sent me uh, a little bit that the uh, the gentleman from Mozambique had shared. Are you okay if I share that with our audience? I would love that. Yeah, that's um, this is a, a soundbite that um, my friend Fred, the team leader from Mozambique, who's now a trainer in South Africa, sent to us, um, kind of looking back at his work, and it really moved me, and I hope it'll touch your 
audience. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and play that. Uh, we'll take a short break, and then when we come back, we'll shift our focus one last time. I had the wonderful opportunity to go back to the village in Mozambique where we, we used to work. We were there with a the YWAM team and worked there for five years, and it was hard work. We did not see a lot of results. We left about 20 Muslim background believers in the village. And now after five years, they have multiplied. There are so many believers. Uh, there are about 12 fellowships in and around the village. And we went to visit one of the first converts um, in that area. His name is Mr. Maduka. He was already an old man when he received Jesus. He was about 80 years old at that time. And um, he was just one of those people that were prepared for the gospel. Like Cornelius in the Bible, God saw him, and when we came there, uh, we found him as a man of peace. And he was so eager to learn about Jesus. And through Geraldo, one of the YWAMers who loved him so much and cared for him while he was sick, he came to the Lord. And through him, his family came to the Lord. They started a discipleship group at his house, and he's so full of the Holy Spirit now. And when I went to visit him at his house, I sat on the grass mat with him. And I was just sympathizing with him because he's blind now. He cannot see. And he told me, no, actually, I was blind before you guys came to this village. And now I can see. Although I cannot see on the ground, I can see into heaven. And for me, I just had to swallow back the tears because I thought of all the hardships that we had, our kids that had malaria, the times we had in the village where we did not see any results in, in the first year or two. And I was just thinking, wow, this was worth it. We came to the right place. God prepared these people. And yeah, not only him, but many others that came to the Lord through him. Yeah, that was such a wonderful time because we don't always see the fruit. We don't always see the breakthrough. But I just thought, wow, this was worth it. It was such a privilege to just be there and share the gospel with these people. All right. We are back with Brian Hogan, and we're shifting our focus one last time more toward you as the listener. We want to offer you some resources, some perspective, things like that. We're going to draw from what Brian knows. And I do want to mention that all of the show notes, all the links, everything that we talk about are going to be linked up at at engagingmissions.com slash Brian Hogan. And that's Brian with an I, so Brian Hogan. Now, Brian, I know that most of the people who listen to this show are connected in, in the marketplace. They care about missions and ministry, but they don't feel called vocationally in that direction. What would you share with someone if they're starting to wonder if what they do really matters for the kingdom? Well, I would I share extensively in a class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And this is people drawn from churches all over whatever community it's being offered in. And 98% of them aren't called to go physically move to the nations. Um, They're looking at involvement in God's purposes because we we talk about the unchanging purpose of God uh, being reaching those who are still outside his family from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's the message, really, of the whole Bible. Um, it's, it's given very clearly in Genesis chapter 12. I mean, yeah, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and the call to Abraham, that he's going to bless every nation 
through Abraham and his descendants. And we're part of that unchanging purpose. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, in order to make the unchanging nature of his purpose perfectly clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God swore on his own name that he was going to bless every nation. So because that is the family business, if you're part of the family of God, you're part of that. And there is a there is an open door and a welcome from dad to come to work with him. But that's not a locational thing. Hmm. God is trying to reach, use those that are on the inside, and in his words, those I have blessed, to bless those that are on the outside and bring them in to this family and this the, what John Piper calls the white hot enjoyment of his glory. <laughs> and so I would say that um, where you need to find where God is calling you to to live and to work, and then be aware of the bigger picture because God is going to give you opportunities. One of the things that ministered to my heart the most was that um, a lot of times people of a religious view of Christianity feel like they have a lot of responsibilities given to them by God. We're responsible to uh, reach the lost. We're responsible to feed the poor. We're responsible for this. God doesn't give us responsibilities. God gives us an ability to respond Mm -hmm. because responsibilities are all about works. They're about you doing the right thing, so somehow you're acceptable to God and checking all your boxes for the afterlife. But God has called us in grace. We are his children. No matter how we behave, no matter how we live, we're his children. And so he gives us ability to respond. He puts opportunities in front of us that we can step into. And if we'll ask him to open our eyes, we will see these opportunities all around us. You certainly don't have to move anywhere to participate in what God is doing. And whether that's through giving or going or praying or logistical support or mobilizing, there's so many ways that we can be part of the family business. Wow, I think I hit something where you have a little bit of passion. That's that's great. You know, one of the things that you shared that I so appreciated was the purpose of blessing, that we're blessed to bless others. That's, in my mind, that's something that is really hard to get my head around, and I think a lot of people probably struggle with that as well. This wasn't in the, the information that we talked about, but do you have any any keys that you've found help people get the, get that perspective and live it out? Yes. Whenever you get a birthday card, Read the little Bible verse at the bottom and then look it up because the dot, dot, dot after it doesn't mean that they're really ending the sentence. (laughs) It means that the rest of the verse that they've cut out is about blessing the nations, almost without exception in a birthday card. May God be gracious to us and bless us, dot, dot, dot. What comes after the dot, dot, dot? That his name will be great in all the earth, his salvation to all nations. You know, It's like, why did they cut that out? Does that make my birthday less happy that God wants to bless others as well? We've been blessed to be a blessing. And there's so many um, verses that we never hear the second half of. Just as a little exercise, look up the uh, verse that's so quotable, be still and know that I am God. It doesn't end there. It's about the nation's. <laughs> So that that would be one thing. But um, I couldn't advise people enough to go online and go to www.perspectives.org and look up where the Perspectives class is being offered near you. It absolutely changed our lives. 
And it's done this for hundreds of thousands of people uh, since 1973, I think. It's an amazing, amazing, life-changing experience, and it's offered all over the United States. Um, so I would really encourage people to take a look at that and see about taking that class if you want to figure out how you can serve God right where you're at right now. Wow. And in a similar vein, what would you share with someone who's living in the U.S. or in North America and they're starting to realize that their neighbors, their coworkers, the people that surround them are not from here? They're maybe even from places where we think only a missionary goes. Well, God has really brought the nations to us and, um, you know, just the, the current political debate and um, events in um, with wars in Syria and things like that have really highlighted the fact. But this has been going on in a huge way in a lot of your communities for quite some time. And there's um, I travel a lot within the United States and I'll visit communities that are literally refugee resettlement hotspots. And mm-hmm. you can go, they say, go to that little suburb there and you will not see anybody dressed like an American or that looks like an American. Everybody over there is from Nepal and Somalia and, you know, and they'll list all these countries. And I'm thinking, well, that's exactly where we need to be. These people need tips on how to buy food and get along and get their kids enrolled in school and all of these things. And it's so easy to befriend somebody and you can go to the what really good restaurants that they're starting in those communities <laughs> and eat really good food with these people and, and spend time. Most of them have never been invited into an American home. Wow. We live in a college town here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, and we sign up every Thanksgiving and uh, certain other holidays to have a group of international students come over to our house and just have a typical American um, holiday meal with us. And it turns into friendships. We end up, um, it's never failed to have somebody asking if we'll drive them to church every Sunday because they've been looking for a church. Uh, They're not all completely unreached. Some of them are from Christian groups, say in Africa or something, and they don't have cars. But um, other people are curious. They, you know, we end up talking about what we believe, and it's very natural. We're on our home turf, and so they're very open to hearing what we have to say, and they don't get offended. And it's the open door to friendship and relationship with these people. And they're fun, and they actually like to get together, (laughs) unlike a lot of our um, same culture friends who are so busy that they don't have time to get together. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you totally hit on one of my core skills, which is eating at a restaurant, too. So that's like the most exciting thing to think, you know, all these restaurants around me, opportunities to meet people and to share Christ's love. Huge, huge opportunity. Is there maybe an internet resource or a tool or something that you'd recommend for our listeners? Maybe a book, something, something as a resource? Well, um, yeah, there's a number of them. Uh, but I have an online store where really all of the things that I make available to my students, uh, the resources that I carry around with me, um, are available on our online store. And we're going to provide the link for that. Um, but I've also, I'm an author And um, since 2007, I've managed to to write two books myself. One is called There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, and it's available (laughs) all over. It's available on Amazon and on our online store. You can listen to it, um, you know, so uh, it's uh, available as a Kindle or an e-book. And um, that one is about 
The subtitle is Birth of a Mongolian Church Planting Movement. That is really the story of what God did through our family and our team in Mongolia. Um, one of the uh, Carol Davis, who's a, a prominent church planting speaker, said, if you want a radically cross-cultural journey without ever leaving your favorite easy chair, <laughs> this book is your ticket. Um, then the second book that I've just finished is, uh, well, it's, it's a newer book, um, An A to Z of Near-Death Adventures. And um, basically, it's how many ways can one guy cheat death? Uh, this one is uh, alphabetical. So there's 26 autobiographical alphabetical stories of near-death experiences throughout my lifetime. And if you're going to plant churches on the frontier, you're basically declaring war on the kingdom of darkness. Planting a church is an act of war. Hmm. So you end up having a lot of uh, scrapes and uh, near escapes, and you really discover how good God is at preserving the lives of his servants, how good he is at um, really providing and uh, covering our mistakes and <laughs> everything else. So, um, yeah, this one is like A is for abyss, B is for bear, C is for cliff, <laughs> there, K is for kidnapping. I was kidnapped once. Um, so there's a lot of uh, really exciting stories in there. Um, Z is for zealots. We were all, I was almost killed twice in the same day by mobs in uh, Palestine and Jerusalem. So um, anyway, exciting stories. They're both available in a number of places online. Um, an A to Z of near-death adventures. And there's a sheep in my bathtub by Brian Hogan. Good deal. We'll make sure that those are linked up in the show notes. Now, Brian, we are almost done. Is there maybe one last piece of advice or guidance that you'd give and a way for people to connect with you? Yeah, um, I think, you know, the the thing that God has taught me and that I find myself sharing the most often, and I, I touched on it earlier, but I'd like to just say it in really clear form, and that's that the church's DNA is to grow and reproduce. That's what happens when disciples gather together. They grow and they reproduce. So if that's not happening... One of two things, or potentially both of these things, is strongly in play. And I found this to be true on every continent. I've been to, taught on every continent except, Afghanistan, except Antarctica. And so um, the two things are, one, what we're doing in calling church is too complicated. We need to radically simplify what we're exporting to others. And then two, we need to trust the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. We rely on human hierarchies and um, highly educated leaders and everything instead of relying on the spirit that God said he'd put in each and every believer to lead them into all truth, to correct their error, to bring up the word to their remembrance. All of these things that the Bible says are the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of sin. We take those on ourselves, and that slows down the reproduction of the church. Wow, that's good stuff. And is there a way for people to connect with you? Yes, I'd love to hear from people at um, my email address, which is cpcoach at gmail.com. We also have a website that is cpcoaches.com. Okay, good deal. Well, Brian, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. 
I'd like to say thanks one last time to Brian Hogan and also to you as a listener for stopping by. It's really, really encouraging to me to know that you're there. I hope and I pray that you are encouraged and inspired and challenged and resourced to accomplish everything that God has for you and that you feel more connected to what's going on in the body of Christ globally because of what we've done here. Show notes again are at engagingmissions.com slash Brian Hogan. That's where you'll find links to the resources we talked about, including his book and all of that wonderful stuff. And then I also wanted to mention, stop by next week. It's going to be a little bit different. Alan Smith of Coffee Cup Ministries was my very first guest on the show, and he's coming by again, but this time we're turning the tables and he's going to interview me. So you're going to want to stop by for that. And I'm also hoping to have some special music by Jeff Butterworth available for that show. Jeff does the audio editing for me. It's it's a great ministry to me, and I really appreciate what he does, and I want to get what he does out there because he puts out good music that glorifies God, and I hope that you're encouraged. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.